that takes us to the minutes of the March 2nd, 2015 regular meeting of council. Uh, are there any corrections that need to be made? Or adjustments, tweaks, etc., etc. If uh, there are none, I'll take a motion to accept the minutes as presented. I would uh, move uh, the minutes as presented, Your Worship. All in favor of Councillor Needham's motion? Um, um, Ms. Cottrell, are there any public hearings? None. And so we have a couple of presentations. I think we're making the presentation. Uh, one to uh, Peace Regional Victim Services and another to the Peace Regional Dance Society. And I've got these great checks. We are. Take that to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'll uh, call up Brian uh, Turpin and uh, Nora. Maybe you just help me pronounce your last name. Sure, it's Sarissic. yes. So if we have everyone, I can all the town councillors come up and uh, we'll present uh, this check for Brian. any questions, uh, I'm sure that myself uh, or either of our directors may be able to answer um, for you. Um, just a little bit about how we're structured, I guess. Uh, our major funding does come from Justice and Solicitor General from the Victims of Crime Fund. Uh, that is our mainstay. 75% of our budgeted funding comes from the Victims of Crime Fund. But we do, do a little fundraising and we also solicit the municipalities that are in our regions. We cover a number of detachments. Uh, RCMP detachments, McLennan, Peace River, Red Earth, Grimshaw, 
and the catchment areas of those detachments and two on reserve satellite detachments also. So we do solicit the municipalities in the specific regions with regards to additional funding at the uh, prescribed rate of $2 per capita. Just to talk a little bit about what we use that funding for, what your money will be put to use for, we operate with, uh, as most of you probably know, volunteer advocates who are trained by Justice and Solicitor General to become a victim advocate in this province, and they will provide support and referrals to victims of crime, and uh, what they will, some of the more specific areas they will operate in is, for instance, in court support. So when a RCMP member, we work out of the RCMP detachments, and I apologize, our community liaison officer, Constable Mackay, was going to be here with us tonight. I think most of you may be familiar with him. He was actually called out to an incident tonight, so he's unable. He just texted me. But what we do as victim services workers, uh, our staff or our advocates, we will, we will assist somebody through the criminal justice system as a victim. We will help them. Uh, we, will, uh, court, we will accompany them in court. We will bring them into the detachment, allow them to read over their statement, and take them to an empty courtroom, do some orientation with them, prepare them for the day where they have to testify. So that's just a little part of what we do with regards to the legal system. Uh, we also um, are called out by the RCMP to a notification akin uh, if there's a sudden death in the community, we intervene with victims of sexual assault at the hospital. Uh, so the training that we will uh, engage our volunteer advocates, which is our community-minded people that have stepped forward, gone through an RCMP security clearance, and waited out that six- to seven-month process, uh, completed the online justice and solicitor general training for the advocate, takes about a year to get to where they are as an advocate. That training then is enhanced yearly with other subsidized training. And one of the things this year we will be concentrating on is domestic violence. Domestic violence has been targeted by our province as being a very, very high and unacceptable rate. It permeates all our communities, uh, Peace River not being exempt from any other community. Those are one of the things that we will be concentrating on better training our staff to deal with the dynamics of domestic violence and with regards to assisting people to uh, address those circumstances they find themselves in. So that type of training, there's a conference in Edmonton that we, and a training session that we send our advocates to uh, called Diverse Voices. It's a provincial conference. And uh, that type of training, peripheral training with regards to crisis intervention, domestic violence, is what your money will be used for to further train our advocates so they're better able to support the victims of crime. Uh, some of the things that we introduce them to are the provincial programs that are there under Victims of Crime. I've distributed the Victims of Crime Protocol book, which is given to every victim in Alberta. Alberta is uh, very progressive with regards to victims' rights, and with the Victims of Crime program, they lead the country. Uh, this book is not, doesn't exist anywhere else in Canada. Alberta is very proud of it. It is a navigational book to assist people who have never had any interaction with the criminal justice system before to be able to navigate it at least a little bit and take away some of the confusion. That's part of what we do. We operate as a nonprofit organization. As I said, the majority of our funding comes from the Solicitor General and then, of course, from the municipalities. We are governed in a memorandum of understanding between a, a volunteer, these ladies are volunteers from the community that sit as directors of our board of directors for Peace Regional, BSU. And um, they give of their time to uh, 
add direction to the program. Um, with our strat planning, how we're proceeding with our training, they oversee the governance of the program, and it's in conjunction with RCMP, Alberta K Division, and the Solicitor General. So we have a three-way partnership between our community-based board of volunteers that govern the program, the RCMP sit at that table, uh, the local detachment commanders and the CLOs, and also uh, Justice and Solicitor General govern our program. So that's kind of how we're structured. Um, I'm going to open it up for questions because I know your time is limited. I could talk for a long time about this program because I'm passionate about it, but I know your time is limited, so uh, I'll open it up. Maybe you have some specific questions you'd like to ask me. In terms of domestic violence, yes, but I, I get the impression your program is is more geared towards support, so your advocates don't field. Um, calls from individuals that feel that they're uh, victims of, of domestic abuse? Actually, do we do. We, okay. we operate under a two-tier system. Uh, the majority of the clients that we deal with are directly referred from the RCMP. So it's as, as a result of an incident where the RCMP have been called to and either charges are laid or not sometimes. That is given to us as a referral to contact that victim and to start engaging conversation, not just about the legal system, but about supports that they may be unaware of, such as the new domestic violence program in town stepping up that we're an integral part of that organization. Uh, with regards to uh, psychoeducational treatment program for abusers and victims, so they come on different nights. So it's not just the legal system, but to answer your question more specifically, uh, Mayor, uh, we do take self-referrals. So yes, we do get calls because we spend a tremendous amount of time uh, doing awareness programs in the community to bring awareness to domestic violence because it's a hidden, sometimes brushed under, not so obvious in you know, it, it permeates our communities in every workplace and every uh, corner of a community, and not always it comes to the forefront. So we, we do a lot of crime prevention awareness uh, sessions too, so we do get people that will call up and say, you know, I'd like to talk to you about my situation. And then we're able to, to listen, determine what their needs are, and refer them to sometimes other agencies that might be more of a concentrated specific help, such as maybe the Women's Shelter, Alberta Works, uh, the Psychoeducational Treatment Program stepping up I referred to, or other services in the community that might assist them in evaluating where they are in, in their situation, relationship. There may not always be charges, okay, because as we know, domestic violence takes many faces. Does, it's not always just uh, violence, physical violence. It's, uh, it's control, it's, it's different situations. So we will sit and work as a uh, non-judgmental uh, worker will be assigned to them uh, and uh, that VSU will determine what supports, what referrals, what we can expose them to that may be able to help their situation. All right, so if you take self-referral calls, uh, you obviously have an anonymous uh, hotline or phone line? Or? Uh, not all the time. Uh, <clears throat> the, the emergency hotline numbers exist, the 1-800 numbers for uh, that. That is always there in place. But I'll give you an example. Uh, if, it's, if it's a non-criminal file, 
if, if, if uh, the, a person feels that they're in a relationship that's very constricting and controlling, uh, they're not happy, their, their money is being restricted, there, there's domination and control without physical violence. So the police may not have necessarily been involved. But through some of the awareness that not only our organization is, is uh, offering to the community, but a lot of other organizations, like the uh, local Stepping Up program that we have here in Peace River, has done a tremendous amount of work with regards to uh, advocating awareness in the community as to what domestic violence looks like sometimes. We all have a preconceived sometimes idea that it, that it has to be that big argument that results in physical violence. And uh, as, as we look at it more in the province, we realize that that may not necessarily always be the case. So, so we do take self-referrals. They are a small portion of what we do. I will be honest with you, 94% of our referrals are RCMP-based. We work directly with the RCMP. Right, and uh, you, sort of, you seem to allude that uh, domestic violence isn't just a big uh, spat loud spat it's uh it can take very subtle forms uh, so you want to i don't know so i guess i would lead up to my other question is that so do you so if if there's a neighbor that uh, is concerned that their uh the neighboring couple is involved in domestic dispute how how would 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 calling this 1-800 number uh be, be the right uh, way to go, and, and is the one eight, what what exactly is the one eight hundred number? Okay, well, I'll just I'll just break your question into okay. two parts, sure. maybe, and I'll answer it that way. If that neighbor is is suspecting that there is violence involved, okay, by by you know the audio that they're hearing, then of course my indication would be nine one one right away to to call the police because somebody's well being or physical being is being threatened. Okay, so if that was the case, then the person would definitely involve police to say, I believe there's a domestic dispute happening and it, it's, it's, it's um, escalating to a point that it might involve violence. So the RCMP people come and investigate that. But if it's a person who wants to talk to somebody about their individual circumstances that may not necessarily involve charges or may not necessarily be a violation of the criminal code, these 1-800 numbers that the province provides that are 24-7 are helplines. They're counselors. They're people that will talk to a person and try and determine where they're at in their relationship or whatever. We also open the door to any conversation. Somebody can pick up the phone and call us and say, hey, can I talk to you? Can I ask you some questions? A lot of time it's about information. They're, they're looking for information. They may not ready be ready yet to make a change in their life, but they're looking for information, and there may not necessarily be charges involved that would would result as a you know physical violence. So, like I say, domestic domestic disputes, domestic abuse, domestic violence is a very complicated and intricate component that's not always as simple as one per person uh, taking physical control over the other person and hitting them. So. It is a complicated issue, requires a lot of work and a lot of support. Uh, I think anybody from the women's shelter uh, that you would ever listen to that would do a, a presentation on domestic violence will, will say that I think the provincial average is that a woman will leave seven times from an abusive physical relationship before she finally decides. And there are many factors behind that, the economics of it, you know, uh, a number of different factors to understanding 
and I use the female because not necessarily is that always the case, but it is for the majority of times. It is a female victim. So there's, it's a very complicated issue when you have children involved. Uh, if that person is a stay-at-home mom, there's, there's all kinds. So to, to support somebody in domestic violence requires a very, very uh, concentrated multi-agency support network that would allow somebody to make a change that would be in their best interest if that's their choice because it's always the victim's choice in the end. Do you want to just touch on what some of the more subtle forms of domestic abuse are in terms of... With regards to... Um, uh, we, do, we do some programs in the schools with, with uh, youth uh, that talk about healthy relationships. Uh, so, you know, when, when kids start thinking about dating, they start talking about dating. We talk about, well, what, what does a healthy relationship look like to you? And what does an unhealthy relationship look like? You know, uh, so with regards to two people in a relationship that respect each other, that respect their individual identities, and allow a person to thrive and grow and encourage them, that's a healthy relationship. So, you know, I'm being very concise here and, and, and shortening things up, but basically we go through some of those awareness things to say that somebody that's very jealous, that's not necessarily a sign of love. Uh, that may be an indication of, uh, you know, a personality trait that's not extremely healthy, a person that cannot let their girlfriend go out of their sight because they're just very jealous. And we, we hear this in some of the presentations. We hear kids that will look up and say, he loves me so much. He's so jealous of me. I can't talk to anyone else, you know. And, and you, we smile at that, but, but you know, sometimes... It's, it's saying to the kids, you know, let's let's talk about what would a healthy dating relationship look like for you, you know. So so getting that community awareness out there that, you know, of, of what healthy relationships are and, and what do they look like and the respect that two people have for each other in a healthy relationship I think is key because awareness is is one of the most powerful tools we can use to... Uh, to address any of the social problems that we have in our communities, you know. So, uh, so yeah, so it's, it's a big part of what we do. Domestic, uh, the province has highlighted and provided a number of resources, a number of initiatives uh, with regards to addressing domestic violence in Alberta because, unfortunately, now I believe, I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but now I believe we may be the leading province. And, and you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons for that, economics and, and whatnot, right, you know. Any other questions? How big an area do you cover? Just the area kind of by the Peace River Detachment, or do you cover all the way up to the territory border? Uh, no, we cover the catchment area Peace Regional Detachment, which is from the White Law border to uh, Donnelly Corner. And we also covered the catchment area of McLennan Detachment as Peace Regional. Uh, and we cover the, uh, of course, Grimshaw's and amalgamate it now with Peace River, so that comes into Peace River Regional. And we also... Uh, uh, we cover uh, Red Earth Detachment and the surrounding lake reserves. But, uh, and, and I didn't mention about the staffing. We're actually staffed with a full-time coordinator, which is myself. We have an assistant coordinator full-time. We have a 20-hour admin assistant, and we have a court support worker that actually accompanies people to court. And uh, for Peace River currently, we have six volunteer advocates, and I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't put a plug out there for uh, recruitment we're always recruiting for volunteer advocates. 
for people that are willing to take the training. And it is a very, very unique and special volunteer opportunity, but also very rewarding. Uh, it's very interesting. I, I think I don't think anybody would uh, would deny me that there's lots of other words that are used when we talk about the Canadian criminal justice system, but I think interesting is probably a good word, right? <laughs> right? So uh, it's never boring. Uh, so, so to be dealing with... Uh, you know, our workers actually liaison with the Crown and the RCMP to make sure that victims have the information that they need. Information for a victim is very, very important. They want to feel part of the process. They want to know what's going on. If you look to date right now as I speak, the new Victims of Crime Bill in the uh, federal legislation is in its third reading in the Senate. I just came back from provincial meetings uh, on Friday in Edmonton, and it's a very progressive changes that they're coming forward with to enhance victims' rights in the legal process. They're changing documents like the victims of crime, victim impact statements to be more um, inclusive, I guess if is the right word, of victims' rights. So I actually had a chance to read through that bill, and, and it's, it's very encouraging. So victims' rights are a very focal center uh, that has been increasing federally and provincially over the last number of years. To, uh, to make sure that victims are heard and their voices are heard and their rights are respected. And that, that, always, that hasn't always been there, but uh, it has been, uh, has been a trend that's uh, very um, encouraging to see in the last few years. I see you actually had a PowerPoint presentation. I did, but you know, it was more of an educational thing about what the program is about, and I thought in the interest of time, it would be better just to give you a quick synopsis and take mm -hmm. your questions. Um, how many victims do you kind of deal with in okay. a year? I can give you a little overview of 2014. Uh, and, and before I start this, I want to make very, very clear that victim services files are not indicative of crime rates and they're not indicative of total files of a detachment okay and I just want to make that really clear because sometimes there's a little bit of confusion about that so these are files that the RCP members felt that needed some support from victim services either with the court system or with something else and that's why they were referred currently for 2014 I checked just before I came here tonight so that I would have the numbers right in Peace River just the town of Peace River alone uh, we had uh, 186 files that we dealt with. Now, keeping in mind, these files can be open for months because if it's a, uh, or years, uh, recent homicide in this region, not in this town, is now coming up on four years old and the trial is starting in May. So uh, if it's an assault file, historically now we can look at anywhere from three to six months before it gets to trial. So we are, we are identifying to the victim, we're sitting down with the victim immediately after the incident, identifying some of the needs they have with regards to safety, where they're living, seek out that support they need, maybe with income support, whatever their specific needs may be. Maybe it's child custody because we don't do anything with civil courts, so we'll seek out a resource to get the help they need for the child custody issues, whatever it is. Then we deal with the court system, inter introduce them to the victim impact statement, maybe restitution, maybe financial benefits. Uh, as we get closer to the trial, we'll work with them, bring them in, allow them to read over their statement that they maybe gave to the police that's now six months old. 
to refresh their memory. We'll go to court with them, actually accompany them. If it's a child, we'll take the child into the empty courtroom the day before and let the child see what the courtroom looks like. It's, it's a matter of taking a little bit of the anxiety away of the unknown. You know, we'll talk about who is going to be sitting where and what their jobs are. You know, we have absolutely no interference with the statement because it's their truth as they know it. So we keep that pristine. We don't comment on it. But what we do do is help them with housekeeping items. Sometimes victims can be horribly terrified of their accuser. So if Mayor Tarpe is the judge and if Mr. Kelly Bunn is the Crown Prosecutor, if I'm making eye contact with them when I'm answering the question, I cannot see Councillor Needham's face and I cannot see his expressions. So any sneering or, or, you know, intimidation he may be throwing at me. I can't see it now. So it's those little tricks to try to just take the anxiety down and to allow the Crown Prosecutor to do their job, you know. And, and so a witness that, witness slash victim that is prepared by victim services has a much, uh, I think, uh, choosing my word carefully here, uh, they, they probably have a more... Um, opportunity to understand what's going to happen in the courtroom and maybe, just maybe, a little bit less anxiety about what's going to happen because of the preparation work that we do with them. Because for somebody that has never been in a courtroom before, it can be extremely intimidating to have to get up on that stand and, and ask answer questions and have the person that's perpetrated the offense against you sitting there looking at you. And depending on whatever that file is, it can be extremely, uh, extremely difficult for the victim. So we work with them to try at least a little bit to try to reduce that anxiety. So to answer your question, the files are uh, for Peace River, as I said, we have uh, close to, you know, between 185 to, to 90. And total for the whole region, our files this year in 2014 came out at 465. And that's many, for the whole region. Right. Oh, sorry. And for the town of Peace River, how many files do you open up every every year in terms of like this 186 some of them are as old as four years so no no that's just the ones that I'm, I'm not talking about what what is what total files we have open I'm talking about new ones for 2014 that 186, 186 were new files for 2014 for 2014 that's right now that takes in the catchment area of Grimshaw detachment also because now it's peace right. regional RCMP so it's it's from the white law border to Donnelly corner but, it, yeah, no, our unit had 186 files. Again, I want to stress very specifically, that has nothing to do with the total RCMP files that were open for that month. So it's not indicative of crime rate. It doesn't, they, they have some totally different stats that they bring to council. These are victims that we were referred to by the RCMP that we opened up a file and are supporting and have supported. And some of these files may have been closed out, in 2014. Some of them will proceed into 2015. Do we have other files from 2012, 2013 from Peace River? Yes, we do. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Any other queries? Do you want to add anything else? Other than the fact that, again, I just want to express <coughs> the, uh, our great gratitude uh, from the uh, from the organization, I know our board members. Maybe they would have something they would like to add to council. Is there anything you want to add? I thought I might add a few comments to your uh, when you asked about some of the more subtle forms right. of domestic violence. I thought I would just add a few examples. 
Um, you might have financial control, a partner who uh, keeps control of all of the money and finances for a family. Uh, you might have someone who lamplights their partner, constantly undermining um, that person's confidence in their ability to assess a situation. They uh, become very unsure of themselves. Uh, you might have somebody who, um, of course, is physically violent, but also potentially just physically controlling, um, who uh, you know doesn't allow their partner to leave an area or with particular people, or uh, have control of their own cell phone or email address. Um, and then uh, you also may have someone who's emotionally damaging, you know, through verbal assault constant belittling or, or um, verbal attacks at various points. So those are other examples other than the, the um, stereotype of, of the physical, uh, physical violent relationship. And other than that, I also just want to thank you for, for your support of the program. So I just want to follow up on that, Nora. So if you run into somebody that you think is having domestic abuse issues, uh, how do we subtly get them to get in touch with you. Uh, you mentioned a 1-800 number, although that seems... Do you, have, do you have an office space, right? Or are you just in the RCMP building? We have an office space that's out of the RCMP yeah. building. We're all, all, always based out of an RCMP detachment. Right? right. But they can come to the foyer and we can meet with them in the meeting room, whatever, but... The, just to correct, the 1-800 the number that I was referring to, Mayor Tarpe, is a 1-800 number domestic violence Alberta number for 24-7. But at any given time, to reach us, a person can just call an RCMP detachment and be put through to, to the victim services office, right? Okay. So during business hours, whatever. And the RCMP have our call out because we do get called out, not to domestic violence situations because they're first responders, with regards to the initial call-out. We're usually called out to an NOK or a victim of sexual assault that may be at the hospital or an MBC. Uh, we were give you an example with the bus incident recently. We were called out by the RCMP to have our cra trauma, crisis trauma people at the hospitals to meet the parents when they were first arriving in the first few minutes. So those are kind of an example of our call-out. Uh, but with regards to reaching us, they can go through. We, we put out lots of, we, we have a web page, we have a Facebook page, we advertise, we put our brochures in just about every social services organization in all our communities. And that, that brochure is currently in the package that I gave you, the purple one, that kind of outlines some of the support and some of the services that we can offer. So uh, so to reach us, they, they, they can call our direct number, they can go to a detachment, uh, they can... Yeah, there's, there's numbers of ways of, of reaching us, you know. But the 1-800 number is more along the lines of the 24-7 crisis intervention at 1 o'clock in the morning that doesn't require RCMP, and the person is just extremely depressed and maybe at that time just decides that they want to talk to somebody about their situation, much like the other 1-800 numbers that our government uh, uh, has out there with regards to suicide prevention, uh, mental health issues, and whatnot. Karen? Oh, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you as well. And you were say, asking about, I think, the 1-800 number, like if someone wanted to, like mm -hmm. you were saying, a neighbor 
they would probably be able to get some information that way if they use the 1-800 number and saying like, I suspect something's happening next door. They would probably be able to get some of that information. Great. And I'd like to say thank you. Well, thank you for coming and thank you very much presenting the information. Thanks. Okay. So the Peace Regional Dance Society is who's here representing them? Oh, all right. I got another check. Not as large though. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> we're we're going to do another photo op on this one, too. Mine um, will be short and sweet, I guess. Um, first of all, thank you guys for your generous donation um, for our upcoming festival, which is at the end of this month. Um, well, ours is all basically financials. I mean, when we came to you that we were, it was basically a shortfall of $40,000, and that was on February 9th. That was the first time that we did, we sat here and met with you. So in a month today, we have raised $27,931. Um, that does not include the $2,500 from the Town of Peace River. We've received $10,000 in private donations. Northern Sunrise County has made a donation of $7,500. We had a cash raffle um, that... We made $7,255 and a bottle drive for $2,786. As well as there'll be a couple other fundraisers that are taking place before the end of the season. We're doing a Purdy's um, Easter chocolates currently right now. And... We're having a raffle table set up at our festival at the end of the month, which is something new to us for people who have donated items. So that'll um, generate some revenue as well. And I think that's about it. Does anybody have any questions? 
Well, that's great. It's good to see that you made lots of progress in 30 days. So, Roxanne, how many students do you have, like, or dance people? <laughs> dance people. <laughs> Students is probably approximately close to 200. We have about 130 families, but some of those families have two or more children as well. So are you expecting that you're going to be able to hit your target before the year is over? Hopeful, cautious Hopeful. optimism. Hopeful, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, that's all we can do is hope at this point. Um, you know, we do, I have a couple other phone calls out to waiting for some calls back that people wanted to discuss things with me, so which is fine. I feel like I can discuss this with anybody now, it seems <laughs> like. <laughs> um, and we also do have an a very similar application that you know we've presented here as well as Northern Sunrise County that has gone out to the County of Northern Lights, which will be at their on their agenda for tomorrow, um, in a day or night, whatever that is. So. so are you guys presenting there, or is it just have you given your presentation, I guess, on paper, and they're just going to review it? So far, it's just on paper. Okay. Um, and I get and I'll follow up tomorrow to see if they do wish to have more, and if maybe it's a making a trek to Manning to, to meet with them, too, in the upcoming future. And we'll see, hopefully, from that one as well. Awesome. Yeah, if you can just tell them Northern Sunrise put in 7,500, they might want to uh, top that at 10,000 or something like that. <laughs> we just can't compete with those guys. Okay. Well, thanks. Great. Okay. Thank you, everyone. So that takes us to bylaws, bylaw 1954, purchase of heavy equipment. Sandy Adams, no? Should we put that, bump that down the agenda and go to bylaw 1955? <laughs> if if uh, th what we did is we gave it first reading, we then did the advertising. We now uh, have... This is bylaw 1954 you're talking correct. about? Correct, yeah. Well, actually, both of them. But, uh, so we have met the advertising requirement to now come back for second and third readings. If council were to grant third reading tonight, there is still another period that, uh, that the public would have the right to um, uh, still file against the bylaw. And in order to proceed with the purchases on, uh, according to the timeline and get the debenture in place, we would ask that second and third reading be granted tonight. Okay, let's uh, deal specifically with bylaw 1954. So for, this is for the purchase of the street sweeper only, or is no. it street sweeper plus some other equipment? Yeah, the street sweeper, the, the track hoe, and the back truck. And uh, this, the financing, so there's going to be a debenture, but it's going to be uh, the source of these funds is not, is it property taxes or is it municipal? It was operational uh, savings, wasn't it? That's correct. It was offset with uh, reduced uh, contracted equipment 
during the year. Okay. So, uh, discussion on bylaw 1952. So, I guess you should have paid more attention during the budget discussions. Do we always spend this amount of this, the proportion of money on contracted services, or is that an average? Or that, that would, yeah, that was actually based on last year's expenditures, was what was budgeted this year. And was last year an average year, or was it a high year? Well, Eric, you got to remember that the equipment, uh, some of it, uh, is is older, so they increased maintenance, increased repairs. Some of these pieces are new pieces that we actually intend on on offsetting with some some projects. For example, uh, sewer cleaning, sewer line cleaning with the hydrovac. Uh, we also have uh, a bunch of work to do at the sewer plant that we can use the hydrovac for. So we've been able to offset out of out of the annual operating budget those types of expenditures. Okay. Uh, any other questions? If not, uh, perhaps a motion for second reading. So, Mr. Mayor, before that, I'm reading some of the notes here. Um, it's indicating that we need to correct something before the second and third reading, if I'm looking at this properly. Can we do this in a block, like all three motions as one, as one or no, are you I'm recommend not, three? I'm not going to allow that. So okay. each each one on its own. Okay. I'll make a motion then to uh, amend bylaw 1951 to state that in ra rather being relocating water and sewer mains, that it's for the purchase of three pieces of heavy equipment. Okay, and that's, I just, so you realize it's not, not bylaw 1951, but bylaw 1954? I thought, okay, it's 1954. Okay. So uh, your motion was to, uh, to amend bylaw 1954 to uh, include the wording that perhaps you can, re can you read to that? replace uh, relocating water and sewer mains to uh, state that it's for purchase of three pieces of heavy equipment. Okay. All in favor of Councillor Burr's motion. Okay. So. Um, uh, so a motion to provide second reading to bylaw 1954 as amended. Councillor Benke. Your Worship, I would uh, put a motion on the table to provide second reading for bylaw 1954 as amended. All in favor? Okay. Um, is there a desire to give third and final reading to the bylaw to provide funding for the purchase of three pieces of equipment, of heavy equipment, a street sweeper, a track hoe, and a vac, vac truck? And allow the project to proceed as planned. I'll I'll make that motion, Mr. Okay. Mayor. Okay. Uh, so we have Deputy Mayor Manzer uh, making a motion to give third third and final reading to Bylaw 1954. All in favor? Passed. Okay. So that takes us to Bylaw 1955. Anyone here born in 1955? Raise your hands. <laughs> okay. So, <coughs> so this may be your favorite bylaw: lot development and airport. 
I'm going to table this one, Your Worship. You, well, uh, can you give us a, a the background again for this? Me or are you asking? Uh, well, yeah. you, yeah. Okay, so this uh, this bylaw was was actually a follow up. It was approved in the budget to extend the taxiway and provide servicing to three additional lots at the airport. Um, council is aware of, of circumstances uh, related to proposed development uh, that, that would require this extension. So the bylaw has been presented for first reading. It also has gone through the required advertising and now sits waiting for second and third reading. And it does have implications, as Council is aware, to a um, potential developer. So where's the financing coming from? How are we, how are we going to support this loan of 600000 It would be supported through the tax base. So property taxes? Yeah. So we would need to increase the property taxes this year? No. No, this... This year, it's it's covered on the basis uh, the budget allows for this to be approved, um, but then there will be an annual amount of thirty four thousand dollars. There will be also some offsetting lease revenue of about just under fifteen thousand. And I guess I'd like to propose that we table this until we can ask the MDFP specifically if they will support. The, the, some of these development costs because they ultimately will get, gain tax revenue because of the new structures there. And I, to me, I have a hard time saying that Town of Peace River residents should pay for infrastructure, which we will never recover the money for. So you're, you've got a motion on the table now? Well, I, I guess I want to throw that out for discussion. But I, you know, I, I'd like to make that motion. I just want to hear what the rest of the council would think, think of that, on those lines. Go ahead, Council. So, so as I as I indicated, there is a, a pending lease, um, and uh, we obviously can't speak to the details here because of, of the business confidentiality. Uh, council needs to be aware that that lease um, and and everything that goes along with it is is pending a decision on whether or not we will be proceeding. So you're saying that, like, how quickly do the, does the developer need that decision? What what a, an option is is to, I guess, a couple of options. You can give it uh, second reading tonight. You don't necessarily have to finalize third reading. I think the developer is uh, with with everything that's going on with respect to their development is looking for an indication that we will be proceeding with this and. The longer we delay in that, the more um, difficult it will be for them to proceed with their development, as well as, as the implications that go along with that. And very difficult to speak to that in a public meeting, but... Um, I understand that. I, but I, I guess I, I still so fail to see why the town, residents of the town of Peace River should have to pay for something that we'll never see the money back, recover the money, or potentially may not see the money back. When, if it doesn't make sense for the developer to, to, to cover those costs, then why should the town? 
Well, this this was discussed several times throughout budget. Uh, the other option is is to give second and third reading, which would give a commitment, and then look to see if there's other funding sources available. But would would definitely commit the town at some point. We st we would have uh, in order to secure funding by June 15th. We would be able to. Um, hold our final funding decision until the first meeting in May, uh, which what I'm saying there is that the commitment would, would be there that we are going to proceed, which satisfies his requirement and gives us another couple of months, I guess, to see if there's any other funding options that are in the wings. Why wouldn't we ask first? Like, I guess, Kelly, what I thought when we had these discussions, and, and I obviously miss misinformed. I thought that that was part of the, when we talked about the budget, we were going to ask the MDFPs it, whether they would be willing to help fund this. Now, and, obviously, and that's not your understanding, but I, I took it that was kind of a given. We did have a meeting with, with all of the municipalities and and the mayor and Councillor Banky were at those meetings, so they can speak, you know, and they have spoke to the results of those meetings. We did specifically speak to uh, raising $600,000 and certainly uh, I don't feel the town finances are in good enough shape to uh, to commit to $600,000. So. Just, uh, Your Worship, if, if I may, this just strikes me as, as yet another unfinished and important piece of business we need to talk to the MD of Peace with. It's the whole business of the interpretation of the agreement, um, the infill between the airport and the town, uh, the taxation trigger, there's some confusion about that. Uh, we had a discussion about the APL camp and uh, we agreed to allow that development to go ahead with no proviso that we would share any taxation revenue from that. Uh, the business of the impact of the road and, and now this. So to, to me, there's, there's three or four critical things that we need to cover off with the MD of Peace. And uh, uh, I guess um, to wrap this particular piece of business up, I'm, I'm reluctant to spend $600,000 given um, how some of those other discussions are going, i.e., we don't believe the agreement says that we can share taxation on uh, the water line uh, pre-existing. It's only post, so there's a discussion there. We don't agree on the taxation <coughs> model for the APL camp. There was a discussion there. So I'm scared that we get into this thing, even if we do second and third motion and we go exploring other options, and the other option is going to be us. Um, I, I, I would, I'm not sure of the timing, but is there any way we can, um, again, table this, but arrange a meeting with the MD of Peace very quickly and specifically talk about this item? Is this... Uh, and I guess the question to the MD of Peace is, uh, we have, a, um, again, this is uh, in-camera business largely, but I think it's fair to say it's a, uh, some pending developments and there's a large infrastructure cost and they're, they're the benefactor, not us, and ask them to, to carry it. And uh, if they won't, then, um, well, then, then I guess that makes my decision easier again. <laughs> yeah. but, um, Can, so I guess could, the question, could, could we delay this motion until that meeting <coughs> could we per perhaps look at doing a second reading on it and uh, as well as requesting that meeting with the MDPs show that we're you know tr 
our intentions are to try and look at how we can move this ahead as far as the developer is concerned, but at the same time still keep our options open to have discussions with the MDMPs. I don't disagree with what you're saying in terms of the, the benefactor of the development there as well. However, I think there is benefits potentially to the airport as well. And, I mean, if the town continues ownership of that airport, the development um, would have a benefit to us as well. So I don't think that we can completely discount that. Um, so personally, I'd like to see us give it at minimum second reading and, and then instruct administration to um, look to arrange a, a meeting as quickly as possible with 135 to discuss cost sharing on this. Well, that was the whole argument for the first reading and nothing has happened since, so except advertising. Well, no, they... The no, no further work has been done in terms of securing $600,000. No, but uh, the administration doesn't have the right to negotiate with other municipalities. We have set up a meeting, or we've asked them for their meeting dates, and they are meeting tomorrow, and they indicated they will get back to us with meeting dates to further that discussion. So we should know tomorrow whether or not they're going to, when they can meet with us? Yeah. But I, I think I this would be fairly straightforward. Well, I guess I'm seeing if we narrow it just to this particular item, we approach the MD and say, we'll split the cost with you on this one. You know, why, and, and that's a straightforward decision. And if we get into all the other stuff, that could be a long, drawn-out discussion. But this, I don't know why they wouldn't wouldn't entertain that kind of a motion to split the cost because, you know, they're probably going to get be the biggest benefactor from it because I'm sure that the what we what the town gets in terms of the lease of those lots is going to be a heck of a lot less than what the taxes are going to be. And maybe we don't want to split it with. Maybe we want to prorate it some way, but. I, I was thinking zero. <laughs> well, um, I guess <coughs> I would be prepared to put a motion on the table, Your Worship, to provide second reading to bylaw 1955 and to uh, ensure that administration arranges a meeting with the MD uh, of peace prior to the middle of March, or I guess, no, we're at the 9th, prior to the third week of March. So, uh, okay, so... Um, Mr. Bunn, so we have a motion on the table to uh, to provide second reading plus a request that goes out along with it. What if second reading is defeated? The whole bylaw is defeated, right? Correct. So strategically, uh, if Councillor Benke wants to keep this alive, she may want to change that to at least tabling it. Because if it's defeated, it's defeated. How does it come back? You have to re-advertise. Yeah, you have to go through the process again. Uh, clearly, if it's defeated, you are sending a message to the developer. I, uh, I, I don't know why you would necessarily defeat at second reading. You always have that option at third reading. So I, I guess it depends what message you're attempting to send. So do you want to... Uh, is your motion still on the table? Go ahead, Colin. I, I'm just going to add to your worship. I mean, it, I, I understand where Councillor Banky wants to go, but I, I guess uh, that might be the wrong message to the, develop, to the developer as well. I mean, obviously, we're promoters of the development of the airport. I, I don't think there's any question about that. It's the question of the financing. And I, I wouldn't want the developer to think that just because they got first reading and second reading that they're going to automatically get third reading. And if I was the developer, I would likely interpret that as uh, this is a slam dunk and I don't think it is from my perspective so 
I'm I'm not sure if this the second reading is a is a good strategy. Um, let's just let's just amend the wording then. Then it's not dead, and then let's table it until we can meet with the MD. Or I guess we need to figure out whether we want to meet with them to talk about this or just. Well, it's Councillor Benke's motion, so she can do with, with it what she wants, and then we'll call a vote on it. Well, I, I'm not prepared to to kill a motion or to kill a, this bylaw. Um, I feel very strongly on development at the airport, and I maybe I'm the only one sitting around this table right now that thinks that uh, it's worth the investment. But um, I mean, <laughs> based on your wording, it makes it pretty hard for me to want to uh, potentially put this bylaw in jeopardy. So. Um, I would, uh, in light of keeping this bylaw alive, I would look at tabling it to the March 23rd meeting, um, pending that we have had a meeting with 135 prior to that council meeting. So you want to put a date on it, or you want it, uh, you want it to be after consultation with the and is it just the MD of Peace? That we would consult with on this? I feel it would be because we okay. are the two benefacting parties from it, the two that have a vested interest in it at this particular point right. in time. So do you want to put a date on it? Because well, ideally I would like to because I think, um, you know, and again, we can't get into this in a public forum, but I do believe that time is of the essence on a couple of fronts with this. And I would like both the MD uh, and the developer to know that, you know, we don't want to sit and spin our wheels right. on this. But having said that, the MD of peace may not be all that keen to uh, to make a decision by March 23rd. So that's all I'm saying. Well, I don't want to have it sit open-ended, so I'm open to suggestions if somebody has a better one. I, I, I actually like the idea of a date. I, I think that's, that signals to the developer that um, there is a deadline on this thing and it's not hanging, um, whether it's the 23rd or whether it's sometime in April, but uh, if why, we, why if don't we pick a date and if the MD can't respond, uh, I would expect that they would respond and tell us when when it is that they can provide uh, an answer. So They meet tomorrow, Kelly? So when would their next one be? Would it be the 24th? Do they meet twice a month? They meet once a month. They meet one, oh. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's, it's a busy place. They have lots of business to do. So that means then that they wouldn't be meeting until... <coughs> The 14th? The 7th? Is it the second Tuesday of the month? Holy bananas. Okay. Plus, they're likely to be away next week at their uh, spring conference. Well, we can still pick a date. Uh, we call special meetings. I'm sure they can call a special meeting if they think it's important. I, I do like the idea of a date, whatever it is. I, I think that's a signal to the developer that we're going to put this thing to bed one way or the other. Um, and I, get, I guess the other option, we can always ask Kelly to try to get all the Lyle first thing in the morning and see whether, as part of their discussion about the meeting, to flag this specific issue with it. With Like, I have a hard time believing they wouldn't support it, or support it to some, some degree, but... So do we have a meeting on April 6th? That's Easter Monday. Do we meet on Easter Monday? So it would be the 7th? Okay, so then I would amend my motion then to be April 7th. Okay. Okay, so, so could you read back Councillor Brinke's motion? 
as you understand it. Table, this item is April 7th meeting, 10 day meeting is ended 135 prior to our consideration. So table, uh, uh, second, yeah, bylaw 1955, second reading to uh, April. April 7th, pending a meeting with 135 to discuss um, financial cooperation on this. I've got some follow-up questions, but we'll take a vote on that. All in favor of that motion by Councillor Menke? So who is going to lead the discussions with with uh, MD of Peace? Committee. The, the airport committee. So is well, this the, the Councillor Menke and Councillor uh, Nia? the airport committee or would it be the 135 committee the, the other issue that they're trying to arrange a meeting with is with the intermunicipal uh, committee if we want to have a separate meeting with the airport committee then i'll need to request that as a separate meeting. oh so you saw this as the intermunicipal committee well that that's the one we we're meeting on with respect to the issue from last meeting right. so that was the request so so when but uh, so there's a request in yeah. to them already yeah. to meet with us and we would just tack this onto that agenda. I'll actually email Al tonight and ask, uh, tell them that we need an airport-specific issue discussed. Okay. And if they want to set up the airport committee or if they want to deal with it at the intermunicipal committee. Right, okay. Now, if we do the airport committee, does that have to involve everybody at the airport committee? Or can it just be the two parties? Because otherwise, then it should fall under intermunicipal. Should it not? Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. Okay, so at this meeting, yourself and Councillor Needham will be there. <coughs> and on the intermunicipal side, or <coughs> Deputy Mayor Manzer. Who else is on that intermunicipal with MDFPs? You and you? I think I am. Us too? According to this, uh, um, Tannen, Rod, Tom, and Elaine. Okay, so. Uh, so I and I might need a sub. Oh, I was thinking of a sub myself, so... Okay, we'll have to deal with it on the day that they decide. March is pretty busy for me, but we'll uh, we'll try and make it all happen. But I think the key people will be actually Needham and Benke and yourself, Kelly. Okay, so I think we've... Uh, well, we haven't dealt with that. We just postponed that. <laughs> <laughs> so bylaw 1957, rezoning land in Westview area structure plan, and I believe this is why Ms. Modi is here. That is correct. Good evening. Good evening. So before you, you have bylaw 1957, which amends the land use bylaw. It rezones land that falls under the Westview area structure plan and would coincide with the amendment to the Westview area structure plan that is bylaw 1956. So schedule A shows the proposed zoning for the area. Uh, I also have on the screen, on your screens, uh, assuming it's up, the just I pulled up the area visually of the town that this corresponds to so that you can have a visual. Is it working? It is. So this is the lands just uh, west of the hospital area. And we are here tonight for first reading. So there would be a rezoning right now the zoning of the, these properties is some separated into R3 
and residential 1A, and the rezoning would see there being a an R4 lot, which is residential high density, an R2A lot, um, a community two community district lots, and continued residential 1A zoning. If you have any questions, I can. So at this point, should I be asking question or do I wait for second reading or something to ask? Ask away. Okay. Um, the part that looks like uh, dark green, the coolie or whatever, mm. would somebody ever build on that or in it or whatever it is? Uh, there is just, just south of these lots, there is environmental reserve. In, there is environmental reserve that the town already owns. So I believe that's where most of that falls. Okay. And um, I'm a little confused. Some of the, the diagrams show, to me it looks like three large residential lots. Mm -hmm. And then the, the map mm -hmm. seems to show more lots. Right. So the map that is associated with the amendment to the Westview Area Structure Plan is a design concept. Uh, as development proceeds and details become firmer, the lot lines, particularly with the R1A lots, have changed a little bit, and I think the developer is trying to maximize their ability to develop land and have some money to put in the utilities, etc. So those lots are slightly, or the plan is slightly different, but the area structure plan map is a concept map. This is the map that would go for rezoning. Um, and at this point, I think it's fair to uh, to look at them separately because we're at first reading stage. We'll speak to the consistencies or inconsistencies at the public hearing. And just another question, there is a public trail plan through that whole area that North Peace Housing has? In the concept plan, there are trails and sidewalks, and they do link up to the reserve that is owned by the town right now. I would move that we give first, or move first reading of bylaw 1957, an amendment to land use bylaw 1891. Okay. Any uh, further discussion or questions? Can we add the scheduled public hearing for April 7th as part of that motion? Fine by me. You do have a public hearing on April 7th for 1956, which is the area structure plan. So this would go immediately afterwards. And we voted on that by law at the last meeting, correct? That is correct. Okay, so do you want to read back that motion? Council, Lanza moved that Council provide first reading to bylaw 1957 and amendment to land use bylaw 1891 and direct administration to schedule a public hearing for April 7, 2015. Okay, sounds good. Deputy Mayor? Okay, I'm going to call vote on that. All in favor? Passed unanimously. Great. And there's no unfinished business.
So that takes us to new business. Um, so uh, deaccession. So this is the uh, basically uh, taking the uh, basically trashing. Uh, is it not <laughs> trashing? <laughs> They're <wrong>? restoring. Restoring. <laughs> a, I think we'll find a, 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 another term. <laughs> can, can, yeah. can we make that entrance once more? <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought deaccession was when you've already got an archive, but you've, you've, you, the archive period is over, and now you need to decide what you're going to do with it. One, nope. that's a great segue into uh, the presentation that I'm going to ask Laura and Megan to provide you an overview of what deaccessioning is and why we've brought this report to you this evening. So I'll allow you to, with your expertise, to provide that information. So contrary to <laughs> Mayor Tarpey's <laughs> interpretation, <laughs> it's not a trashy. Allow me to be, to be corrected. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's it's just the opposite, actually. It's it's preserving the um, the care and protection that uh, of each of the objects that comes into the collections of any museum uh, across the province. It's uh, it's an insurance of maintaining public trust in our capacity to to care and look after those objects into perpetuity. And there's a uh, an Alberta government disposition policy that manages that and controls it quite strictly that once you've accepted an object and you've accessioned it, so you've you've given it a number, then to deaccession, in other words, to take the number away from it, um, the, the policy determines, uh, lays out the conditions, the only conditions that, that um, you would apply in order to uh, move that object, in our case, uh, move it from permanent collections into education collections, into library collections, into crops collections. So it's it's still staying within our care and management, but it's in a different collection. It's no longer part of the permanent collection. It no longer has the accession number affixed to it. That's, in our, in our experience, that's the main... Um, reason for deaccessioning and the main process for deaccessioning. In larger institutions, you've heard of repatriation of objects, uh, particularly uh, sensitive Aboriginal objects that have been in collections, national, international collections, that have been repatriated to the local uh, First Nations or the local museum or the local collection. Um, that element is spoken to. Um, you as a museum, as a collection, you are not allowed to gain, financially gain from the sale of any of those objects because your grandmother may have donated um, an object that is of particular significance to her as a, as a um, member of the family, of the Tarpey family, and is very significant to the local museum that is part of that story. She doesn't want that object sold to some other collector that says, oh, gee, isn't that a lovely um, piano that we have there? So it, it's a protection and the maintenance of public trust. Sometimes, every once in a while, there's an object that has to be disposed of because it poses a risk to the rest of the collection. Its condition poses a risk. 
go on. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> it's only quarter after yeah, five. I mean, oh, six probably. No. Yeah, after six. Just uh, to follow up with the rest of the report, um, this is a two-part request of council. One, we have a lengthy list for you that has been recommended by the museum board for deaccessioning to council to deaccession the uh, four-page attachment. Um, you have options. One is to, we could redo the process with council individually for each of those items so that you feel comfortable and reaffirm the recommendation of the board. Or you can take the recommendation of the board and almost do an omnibus type uh, motion for all four pages of the listed items in that, uh, in that listing. Then part two is um, a request by your administration on how you would like us to um, present these types of requests to you in the future. This is our first time utilizing our policy that was put in place so two years ago, I believe. 2013. Oh, 2013, yep. So approximately two years ago. So this is almost our first go at this process, and we're finding it can be a little cumbersome. Um, and looking at ways to be more efficient with both your time and the board's time. And we're offering you a couple of options uh, in regards to that request. One of them being continue with this format in the stated pro process in the policy. The other option is delegating uh, the council component of it to the CAO. So as soon as the board reviews, makes a, a recommendation around a deaccessioned item, it would be presented to the CAO for signing off on that process, and they wouldn't have to come back to council. In saying all that, we don't anticipate four-page lists again. Um, with Megan with us for the last four years, we, as she was going through the collections as part of her uh, grant position, um, she came upon quite a number of the items that required this process to take place for various reasons. Broken pieces, items, as Laura had mentioned, that um, could pose a, a risk to the rest of the collections. So we took the opportunity to put together um, the listing as Megan came across these items and discovered we had duplicates. many, duplicates. many washboards, many, many, many washboards, um, and the such. So hence where the list came from. Don't Yes, lots of egg cups <laughs> and eggs. Um, some of them very old, ripe eggs. No. Uh, <laughs> I still want to know what you're going to do with the Ukrainian wedding cake. Um, well, it, the, yeah, go ahead, Megan. Uh, that one, when I discovered that piece, it had been left on a shelf since it was taken into the collection, which was, I believe in it's in 1977. It wasn't a container. However, the piece in question was entirely engulfed in mold. And even with my experience in conservation, there is not a single thing I could do for it. And we made the decision, Laura and myself and Wendy at the time, she was our archivist at that point, spoke with the board and we made the decision to dispose of it at that time. Now, we wouldn't do this for any other item that could wait. However, it was in such a state that when we did dispose of it, we discovered that there was nothing left inside. It had entirely been eaten by mold. 
and it was posing a significant threat to everything around it in the collections room and by extension the staff in the museum. Mm -hmm. It was unfortunately active mold. It was still eating away at the piece. So we did dispose of it at that point when we had gone through our board. In any other situation, we would come to council or whichever way you decide to proceed. We would speak with you first before going the disposal route. But this one, unfortunately, couldn't be saved. <laughs> we did explore every option. Now, disposal is a very rare occurrence, actually. We put, as Laura explained, predominantly the items go into our education collection, which if you've ever been into the museum and touched an object or been on a school program, things like that, those are all education pieces so people can learn from them. So. The cake was an anomaly, <laughs> let's say that. <laughs> so um, when you say education collection, that's just another part of the library or the museum? Some and yeah. you've got storage for all this, right? Well, I, I would <laughs> be willing to put the, a motion forward, Mr. Mayor, um, when I find it here. I've lost the motion now. Well, she's looking for the motion. I have a here question. Uh, why does it have to come to council? Is this a provincial thing or like... I don't pretend to have any expertise in this. I don't think our current CEO or most CEOs would have any expertise. Why wouldn't this just go to the museum people that have expertise and let them make the decision rather than bring it to politicians and administration that really has no knowledge? You're the, you're the legal authority. So we had discussed the possibility of leaving it at the board level, but uh, currently our boards are advisory boards, so they don't have a legal capacity to make those types of decisions. So this is very almost a similar process to um, when we dispose of um, town-owned equipment, uh, like the fire department is probably the best example that comes to mind, asking you to donate that equipment to um, what other, what another entity. Similar process for this. You're the legal authority, and okay. hence the delegation of that authority to the CAO to help to not so have to bring it forward to this table every time. So you're going to make two motions. We'll make the first and then the next. Right? Okay. So I move that um, in accordance with the decessioning policy, P75-2013-01, the Town of Peace River Council approve to deaccession all objects listed in the attachment named deaccession listing, listing 2011-14. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, all in favor of Deputy Mayor Manzer's motion. And you have another motion you'd like to make? I move that the Town of Peace River direct administration to amend the deaccessioning policy P75-2013-01 and the CAO bylaw to provide specific authority to the CAO to approve deaccessioned objects on recommendation of the museum board. Okay, all in favor? Anyone opposed? Okay. But, uh, one, uh, one dissenting vote. Are you looking for another cake? <laughs> Not right now, but thank you. Can I eat it? <laughs> thank you very much. We have uh, three requests for support. Uh, one from the Peace Regional Interagency Committee. On, um, this is for the powwow. 
there's the Glen Mary School wanting to put on their vintage car show again. And the Peace River Porpoises Summer Swim Club for the Summer Swim Meet. And it's nice to see them uh, doing it well ahead of time. So um, we'll discuss each, I guess. Um, just waiting for mine to show up. Uh, so on the interagency uh, committee request for the powwow, uh, any uh, anyone want to start the discussion on that? So they're asking about... Uh, how much are they actually asking for on the powwow? I see that we provided 3000 in funding last year. I believe, Your Worship, it's $3,000 again. Okay. So I, I would move that um, we provide $3,000 to the um, Peace River Aboriginal Interagency for their powwow. For their 2015 Aboriginal Gathering and Powwow? Yes. Okay. Any uh, any comments or questions on that? What was the amount that uh, we donated last year? It sounds like from this backgrounder that in the past the town of Peace River has provided 3000 in funding. So that was that last year's as well? It seems. It seems. To, I, I'm not sure what the uh, the ask was. Certainly more than that, but uh, I'm not. I, I believe it was five, and then I think there was even a suggestion of some uh, transit busing and uh, in-kind services. So I think the ask was considerably more. But, but, but the total contribution last year was just three thousand. Yes, okay. that was my recollection. Did we provide any in-kind funding last year to the Aboriginal Power? I don't think so. Okay. Okay. I, I, I thought we declined not to do it because I think we, in the, in the discussion of tables and chairs, as I recall, um, there are other, there's other companies in town that provide that service. So what we were suggesting is uh, they could go directly to those vendors and pick that material up. And I think that is I, a fact. I think this was the one where they wanted to use the engineering uh, planner. Printer, printer to uh, to do large uh, high density. Well, that was one, and then the table and so. chairs. I think from Rentco. I think was the other one that. Uh, so there is uh, in front of us a uh, a motion for to provide the 2015 Aboriginal Gathering and Powwow uh, three thousand dollars from our grants and groups funding. So I'll call for a vote on that. All in favor? Passed unanimously. So uh, Glen Mary School student group is organizing a vintage car show to fundraise for an international science trip to La Paz, Mexico. They are requesting funding to cover the cost of the arena rental. No previous funding has been provided. We did last year. Different project. Different project. Yeah. Same okay. same event, but different funding people requests. Well, a different group. Yeah. So last year when this came, this is one of those 
issues that I think stirs Terry up. Um, but he in, isn't here. <laughs> in terms of um, how we handle yeah, this in lieu stuff. Um, because, again, it's looking like the swim club is also asking for in-lieu rental, although I don't see any documentation attached for them. Um, we've set a precedent, but we haven't changed our policy, have we? Like, how do we do deal with this? Because last time we gave them a check for, uh, I mean, it's crazy. We sent them a check for 472.50, and they sent it right back to us. But I don't know how we handle that. Right now, we would do the same thing. We would we would issue them the check. They would have to pay for the rental. We haven't forgiven the rental on it. So if council agrees, we will give them that amount of money, and then they will probably give it right back to us. Well, I heard phenomenal things about this event yeah. last year, and I think it was a huge draw for the community and spoke really well to the people that put it on. So uh, I'd be prepared to put that motion on the table to provide them uh, with a check for $472.50 to cover the rental of the arena. Okay. Uh, any questions, discussion? Seeing none, I'll call for a vote. All in favor of Councillor Benke's motion? Passed. So we have the uh, port. Is the summer swim, swim club still called the porpoises? Yeah. Okay. I don't have anything on this. Was it? Oh, it's in paper. Okay. So there is um, a request really for uh, to cover the cost of the pool rental, and the pool rental for the weekend would be $1,100. Um, Are these different clubs then? Because we did 1500 for – is there two yeah. different swim clubs? Yeah. Oh, okay. There's a winter one and a summer one. Same group or different groups? Has Technically different groups? Different oh, okay. Groups. Okay. And um, so, so, and, but with the winter club, we covered off the cost of the pool rental, and then they came back asking for a, for a donation to the advertising. So could we say? I think they actually asked for pool rental, and I made the motion that it be advertising because we hadn't done rentals. We were trying to get away from doing rentals because then it opened up for people to ask for uh, us to waive ice fees if they were holding a hockey tournament or something like that. So how do you want to handle this? Well, I, I don't know. I guess we'd, I, we'd probably handle it the same way we did with Glenmary, I'm guessing, is give them a donation for 1100 and and charge them the pool rental. Should we also request that our 1100 also be, uh, that with that we get free advertising? <laughs> no. Make our dollars stretch. Uh, isn't that bit. what we did at some? Something like that with the, we with the winter club. Gave five hundred dollars to advertising in some program rather than. Yeah, that's what Tannen said. I think we did it all in advertising. Now they don't, unless I'm missing something. I don't see a budget. So are they, are they assuming that they are like? They're asking us for 1100 but are they assuming that there is a rental for the – is this going to end up putting their budget out of whack if we say we'll give you 1100 but you have to pay for – So there was no budget with this one? I, Alan would have been yeah. Yeah, there is. 
It would have been part of their annual annual budget. They they have to have a budget for the whole year. They're hosting regionals here as well. So, I guess what I'm saying is, if we're going to give them the 1,100, it, it needs to be. It needs to balance off of their budget, right? Rather than just having it be a wash, I guess. Other because if they're assuming if they're asking us for 1,100, well, maybe not. Okay. Anyhow, I would make a motion to provide them with $1,100 um, to be used for the rental of uh, the swimming pool. So Kester Burr said something interesting. So they'll also be holding regionals here. Yes. So, so at least that's what's said in their information. So there's a summer swim meet that's generally local, and then they'll then you're saying there'll be another swim meet that'll be regional. Yeah. So this, the initial meet will be same clubs, but it'll be a one-day meet. They'll come just on a Saturday. For right. regionals, it'll be two-day meet. So twice during the year, we'll have swimmers from all so over the region. So $1, this $1,100, will this cover the one-day one meet, or is this going to cover both meets? Three days? That'll just be the pool rental for the Saturday, for the one-day meet. I'm assuming that in their budget, they'll cover recover those costs from the other clubs. It says the, the regionals are August 8th and 9th, and this one is June 27th. So are we are you are we anticipating there's going to be a request for twenty two hundred dollars? So that's not going to be looked on favorably. My understanding is that their region, the regionals are funded uh, differently than their zone meet, which is the one day meet. So typically regionals fund themselves with entrance fees and, and the like. They tend to be more sustainable. I'm gonna However. hold I'm gonna hold you to that, Ms. Bell. <laughs> So when they come for twenty two hundred, I'll say, "Don't talk to us. Talk to Tanya Bell." No point, however. So you made a motion, or so, uh, for eleven hundred. So all in favor of eleven hundred? Passed. Okay. Maybe they'll go to Northern Sunrise County for the regional. <laughs> uh, this now takes us to uh, loitering curfew and parks bylaw slash policy. Uh, and we have a bit of a backgrounder here. And um, who's going to... Okay, so the backgrounder is just... Councillor Ford's motion. Um, so you actually wanted to uh, amend this motion. You wanted to make it more wordier. Uh, yes, so Your Worship. Is, does he have the uh, the right to do that to amend the notice of motion? Yeah, the notice of motion is now brought forward for discussion. So. If he wants to introduce it and propose an amendment, then it's up to council to determine if they want to accept the amendment. Okay. Hey, my uh, my rewording, Your Worship, would be to uh, change my motion to read that council direct administration to research the pros and cons of the town of Peace River developing a bylaw slash policy related to loitering curfews and hours of operation of parks and report back to council by a certain date. Uh, the analysis should include research from other communities regarding their success with similar measures. 
do you want to put the date in there what would be what would be reasonable for a date kelly If we if we looked at what are we March April a couple months so early May people will already be loitering in the parks by then <laughs> we, we may have it sooner but uh, you know I'm okay. okay end of May May thirtieth I guess yeah May thirtieth would be fine you want to uh, just hand over your written note to Ms Cottrell so she can. <laughs> Uh, any further discussion on this? This came out of some discussion we had with the RCMP that felt that this would be uh, a good tool in their toolbox. So, okay, I'll call for a motion, uh, vote on that. All in favor? Passed. Uh, Uniform quality management plan in the building discipline. Quality management plan. And um, Ms. Bench will speak to this. Okay, what you have before you today is uh, a request to adopt a new uniform quality management plan in the building discipline. It has been uh, vetted by uh, the uh, Alberta Municipal Affairs Safety Codes Council. Uh, municipal accreditation is a discipline is very discipline specific. The town currently is accredited in the building and the fire codes uh, disciplines. We're not accredited in the electrical, the plumbing, or the gas disciplines. So we've gone through the quality management plan that was originally adopted in 2001, and we've made a few changes to bring it up to date with the current codes. And the uh, Safety Codes Council has looked at it and has approved what you have in front of you today. So what we're looking for from Council is a motion to uh, adopt this. Once a quality management plan has been uh, adopted, by council and by the safety codes council, then we can go out to uh, with an RFD to the um, um, organizations that would uh, provide the service to the town. Currently, we um, contract that out to uh, Superior Building Codes, and they uh, provide that service to us. Um, the safety codes council does audit us. Uh, I believe it's annually or every second year. I can't remember which one it is, but they do audit us to make sure that the uh, building codes inspectors are following the correct procedures. Right. Well, and your recommendation is that council approves the attached uniform quality management plan and the new version is forwarded to the safety council codes council administrator of accreditation for acceptance. And uh, this seems like a slam dunk to me because option two, which was not approved the quality management plan, had the financial implication that we would lose 25% revenue from all issued building permits. I think that's all you needed to say. <laughs> but I'll leave it open for other questions and discussion. Uh, just one question. How does um, Appendix B on this handout uh, reflect with the QMP, with the fire department itself? 
compared to the building code part aspect of it because it's specifically talking about fire investigation reports, etc. I don't know. <laughs> Appendix B. Those are the forms that are on their website. That's all it is. The, yeah, these are just the administrative forms that you can uh, pull off of the website. Okay, so it doesn't specifically just, it's just talking about the forms and it's not pertaining these forms part of the building aspect of it? Or I believe be that she pulled the wrong, that this is the one for the fire codes and not the, do you know, Kelly? Because this looks like it's the one from the, sa the fire safety or the fire quality management plan as opposed to the uh, building. Maybe we should just table this till next week. I can get that clarified and then we can bring it back on the 23rd, absolutely. Like a delay of a week won't make any difference. No, no. So what changes were there from from the, the old one to this one? Like you said, they're minor. Just it's basically bringing it uh, up to the current code. There's been some changes made since 2001 when the original one was uh, uh, adopted. And they've, uh, I think the layout is a little bit different in this uh, document. The information is basically the same. And do, do it, does the contractor actually do inspections or? Yes, they do the building inspections. Uh, the, uh, they also do the electrical, the plumbing, but not for the town. The permits have to be pulled from somewhere else. So we, uh, we sell the building permits, and then we pay the contractor 75% of the um, fee to provide that service to the town. I guess what I'm, what I'm wondering, like we bought a house in Edmonton, gone through the building Promos there, and like in Edmonton, is very rigorous. I don't know whether we want to go that way, but having gone through it, you at least there you know that the work is being done properly. My experience in town is, you pull a permit, you probably never actually see an inspector. No. Oh no, you would see the inspector. They absolutely come out, and so they I, do I the inspections. I just didn't see them then when I pulled permits then. No, they absolutely come look, out and look at look different at. stages of the building okay, process. Um, one question, Renee, on the option one, it's saying council approves the attached uniform quality management plan. It says the advantages is that uh, we'll have an updated uniform quality management plan. And then it says the disadvantages, we continue to work with an outdated quality management plan. Should that not be in there? The disadvantage of keeping the old one would be. But if we we're if we're approving it, then that wouldn't be a disadvantage to approving it though, right? No. Okay. No, it would not. Okay. The disadvantage would come in if you stayed with the old one. Right. And you'd okay. be working with the old plan. So that should be actually option two then? Yes. Okay. Okay. Thanks. So a motion. Yeah. To Your Worship, I'd be willing to put a motion on the floor to have the uniform quality management plan in the building discipline brought back to council with the updated information for March 23rd. Okay. Uh, all in favor of Councillor Ford's motion? Passing unanimously. Okay. Uh, town of 
Town of Peace River and QP Local 898 uh, instructor wage ratification. So I'm assuming that Ms. Ms. Bell will speak to this or not? Is, or who's speaking? Or are, are you speaking to this, Ms. Cottrell? Oh. <laughs> well, it was instructors in Peace Regional Pool, so. Ms. Bell wasn't prepared to speak to this. <laughs> But that's okay. I can easily speak to it. Um, what administration has done is worked with the, the pool staff to come up with an additional position at the pool. We've literally taken the lifeguard instructor position and split it in two. We've always had the lifeguard position, so that's just guarding. Um, but we're taking the instructor piece out of the, the L1 position, the lifeguard instructor. Um, we can hire staff at an instructing-only level at 15 years of age. It's one way for us to get staff in a little bit sooner um, and get them into an employment situation with the town in a, a slightly different avenue. The other option for us is, and we've had lots of discussion over the years in regards to this, is looking at other pockets of potential employees, individuals who may only want to work um, small hours during the day, when we're looking for instructors only for our school lessons, uh, private lessons, that type of thing. So it gives us one more avenue um, to develop another, as Leanne noted, pool of uh, employees and hopefully bring us more staff because it is a, a constant struggle. So the information was presented to CUPE. We met with them. They're in agreement with the job description and the proposed wage level, which is the same as the lifeguard level. They're very similar in terms of number of hours for certification uh, was sort of the justification behind that. So you, you would have to be a lifeguard in order to become an instructor? N not necessarily any longer. So, so right you now could you could teach swimming lessons without being a lifeguard? Lifeguard, correct. A lot of the larger centers, um, cities, offer these different types of employment situations all the time. So they'll have an instructor who can teach lessons or do aqua aerobics specifically, but they're not lifeguards also. Is there training that goes along with the instructor component of yeah. it? Okay. Yeah. Very so they're trained They're trained for that. They just That's may correct. not be trained for the lifeguard? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Somehow when I read this, I interpreted instructor as the instructor who's training the lifeguards. Nope. They'd be the... Lifeguard instructor, no, no, not the same thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of the words for that one, but not coming off the tip of my tongue. So as far as the budget implications go, it's not an increased cost to no. do it this way? No, okay. not at all. It, it would, our budgeting would be the same as is in terms of our salary capacity now, our wage capacity. So union membership goes up by one though, right? If we hire anyone in the instructor positions, it would... Increase accordingly. So once again, you could have an aquasized instructor Correct. who would not need lifeguarding certificate. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> not I'm up on that deck. No. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I, I'll make a motion then maybe. Um, I um, move that the Town of Peace Server ratify the proposed wage for the instructor position at sixteen eighty six per hour as agreed to by both parties. We should correct? just qualify that as sixteen dollars and eighty-six cents, just so that per. people just go, 
hours. Oh, $16.86 per hour. Okay. All in favor of Deputy Mayor Manzer's motion. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, Alberta Public Works Association, and this is their proclamation for Public Works Week. So we're not, uh, Sandy Asms isn't here to speak to them. <laughs> okay, so this is a proclamation for, uh, to recognize public works workers all across our province. And the theme is community begins here at public works. So um, they give us a number of options, but the recommendation is administration recommends council support the Alberta Public Works Association and declare May 17th to 23rd, 2015 as natural, National Public Works Week uh, with the theme community begins here. I don't think we need to debate this any further, do we? And Councillor Benke is making that motion. I would make you that motion. And uh, we have an enabling motion for AAMDC Fall 2015 Convention. So this will be a uh, motion to enable two councillors to attend the AAMDC meeting in Edmonton, uh, November's for well, they don't have um, educational meetings before the seventeenth. November seventeenth must be a Wednesday, is it? So why don't we just say enable two councillors to attend the AMDC fall convention scheduled for the week of November 18th to the uh, 20th. You need November 17th in there, I think. Is it, well, what if there's, why don't we just say what if it actually has educational sessions on the 16th? So the fall of, yeah, the AAMDC Fall Convention 2015. Yeah. I'll so move that. So, so you're enabling two councillors to attend the AAMDC 2015 Fall Convention. All, we don't need to debate this, do we? All in favor? Asked unanimously. Um, meet Travel Alberta member mixer. Oh, if it's got the word mixer in, I'm interested. <laughs> oh, it's tomorrow. Okay. Well, I won't be able to attend. Anybody interested? If not, let's uh, just do a motion to accept for information. Mr. Needham, are you interested in going? Are able to? Well, I, we, we have offsite levy tomorrow as well, right. correct? This one's eleven thirty to one thirty. Eleven thirty to one thirty. Yeah, right. So I just I, I was potentially interested, and I've got a question mark beside it. I I guess I'm the tourism guy, um, but I I'm 
I'm uncertain uh, as okay. I sit here this evening. Maybe somebody could make a motion for one counselor to attend the uh, um, this this um, this event. Make, I'll make that motion, Worship. The enable one counselor to attend the member mixer with Alberta Travel Alberta on Tuesday, March 10th. Okay. Okay. All in favor of Councillor Burr's motion? <coughs> and if two of you show up, you'll have to flip a coin as to who, <coughs> who gets, gets the pass on it. Athabasca Hall Renovations Tender 2015. Reed Glenn will be very interested to know that we are putting out this tender. Your Worshiping Council, um, the report is in regards to the Athabasca Hall renovations. These are... Oh, sorry for the interruption. I possibly could have a pecuniary interest as my son works for on the company, okay. so I'll excuse myself. These are the renovations in regards to the flood damage uh, in the basement of the Athabasca Hall. We have tendered the um, project work on March, uh, March 4th, sorry, was our closing date for the tender for the project. Uh, we received four bids, and the lowest bid was Rick Dostler Construction at $135,000 plus GST. Um, to add to the discussion... We, in our planning purposes, uh, we're looking at not replacing the sprung floor in the dance studio for the last five years or so. Uh, that space had not been utilized for dance purposes. Um, and then we were looking at some other upgrades and construction throughout the basement. We have just recently had a request from a local dance group um, for that dance studio. So we're having to have a discussion with our insurance company uh, in regards to um, how to manage possibly putting the floor back in um, and also another request from an art club of utilizing that space for a artist studio. So very different uses. Um, dance floor doesn't always take well to large potty wheels. So we're having a discussion with the Community Services Board later this week. They're having a regular meeting and we'll have more detailed discussions of how to manage that request. For the purposes of this RFD, we would request that you approve the um, tender submitted by Rick Dossler Construction so that we can proceed with the project. We really would like to get our renovations moving and completed as soon as possible to get that basement operational again. Um, as his tender was the lowest tender at 135000 plus GST, um, we're also requesting an additional um, allowance per se of approximately $20,000 for us to deal and manage with the request around the sprung floor. Um, and then at such time as a final decision has been made, then we, we wouldn't necessarily have to come back to council uh, for those additional funds if there are insurance should cover it. Unfortunately, we were not able to have a firm number from our insurance company for this meeting this evening. So we are making a recommendation that uh, council approve an overall project budget of a total of 155000 with an additional variance of a $15,000 because um, we do have some operational funds that we could utilize within uh, if there's some um, overages on the insurance component of it. If that makes sense to y'all. 
You said 155,000 plus 15,000. Or that's what you said. Yeah. And the 155 is the 135 bid from um, Rick Dostler plus an allowance of an additional $20,000 to deal with the potential sprung floor. That's a, an, a quote that we've received from a co local company on replacement. Again, anticipating insurance coverage. Feel free to jump in, Kelly. Yeah, I think th I think the point that you're making, though, yeah. is that we have $16,000 budgeted. So, yeah. so what your recommendation is is that uh, the net difference between insurance coverage and total project yeah. does not exceed 16000 correct? Thank you. Still not still as clear as mud to me. So do you, do you have a hundred and uh, what does it work out to 170 or is 106? Altogether you're asking for $170,000 to be approved, right? So 155 plus 15. Yep. Plus 15. Yeah. So that's 170, right? Correct. So that's the maximum so, amount. No, let, let me finish. So yep, you have $170,000 in your budget? No, because it would be predominantly offset by the insurance. So, it so literally how much would do you have in, in your budget? Uh, we have $80,000 in the budget. And again, it was an in and an out yep. because we, at that point, budgeting purposes didn't have an exact cost. But we have an additional 15000 in anticipation of additional expenses that we can utilize. Okay, and you ex so that would be eighty plus fifteen One nine, or so ninety five. So ninety five, yep. and you're thinking that the other seventy five thousand will come from insurance. Go ahead. The the eighty thousand that's in the budget is also insurance. So yep. that's why we're saying that the the total net difference between insurance <coughs> and total project cost can't exceed fifteen thousand. What we have budgeted from town funds is $15,000. What they were anticipating is that we would have a solid insurance number before this came and the insurance company isn't giving it to us. So in order to protect, we want to proceed with the project as quickly as we can, but in order to protect the town, the recommendation is that, that the total project does not exceed $15,000 more than the total insurance proceeds. Okay, yep. because you have 15000 Right. Correct. Thank you for clarifying that. So, but if you only have 80000 from insurance... It was... It, we don't know what we're getting for insurance. We put an $80,000 amount in the budget, uh, both in revenue and expense, just so that we had some funding identified. Um Thank you. That's exactly right. Yeah. So we're anticipating that the bulk of the expenses would be covered by insurance, but we need that final number before we can um, say for certain. And hence the $15,000 being our net. Okay. So we're assuming then that the insurance is going to pay everything but fifteen. We're assuming they're going to cover the bulk of the cost, yeah. And then what if it doesn't? Then we'll dial back and work within the budget we have. Okay. Um, question I've got, the Rick, how do you say that, Dossler? Dossler. Is that a local contractor? Yes. Yeah. yeah, okay. He's done some work for us in the past, the Riverfront Park washrooms, mm -hmm. uh, ski, ski Hill Shed at the top of the, the hill. Yeah. The washrooms on the main floor here. 
So uh, who wants to take a crack at uh, crafting the wording on the, this motion? I think Kelly's note on the total net difference is right. important in the motion. So the motion should probably read that, uh, that if so Councillor so-and-so moves that the Town of Peace River, ta uh, Peace River Council accept the tender submission of Rick Dossler construction in the amount of $135,000 for the Athabasca Hall renovation project uh, with the proviso that the, uh, the costs, ab costs above the insurance claim be exceed no more than $15,000. I, I think that's it other than the number should probably for this purpose be 155 which yeah. will allow for that floor yeah but okay. but the rest of the motion I think was so covers that it. so that 135,000 should be struck and should read 155 who's making that motion councillor Benke you had your hand up first <laughs> okay you get the all in favor of Councillor Benke's motion. Thank you. So I don't want to muddy the waters. Yep. The floodproofing. Flood, the floodproofing. <laughs> like, is that considered at all? Or like, I, you know, yeah. I have a hard hard yeah. time with this. Like, uh, and, I, yeah. to me, it's it's ludicrous to keep putting stuff in again when yeah. potentially next week it, it could be flooded again. And I was approached by someone today saying. Is the town going to make sure that we don't flood out again at St. James yeah. Cathedral, who is just, they're just about back in there again after yeah. last year's flood? Yeah. Like, well, and I guess there, the challenge is predominantly the work that's going to be done by Rick is drywalling, flooring, trim work, um, doors. So he's so, putting it back to the way it was. Yeah. So we're really, I, I, we, I, I don't know how we could flood proof with the drywalling component and and which is really the bulk of the work. You can buy yeah. drywall that's waterproof. waterproof. It's really expensive. Yeah, and, and those expense that above and beyond the insurance component would be at the town's yeah. cost. And we're doing some slight modifications, so we have some operational improvements, um, a very small little janitor space, because right now we don't have a, a, a at all. It's a closet. Um, so Brian will be able to have his staff properly able to have mops and buckets and that type of thing. Yeah. yeah. So I guess the question I have, to maybe the rest of council, like I would like to think the town should be doing something on this, and I've been kind of waiting until the province comes up with something, and I haven't seen anything in terms of their flood resiliency stuff. I mean, I know we've had that discussion here a little bit, you know, you know, are the dikes sufficient or not, and I think in the town that's demonstrated that even though we have the dikes, we still have some issues. We may continue to have issues. I've seen in California places where they actually build flood walls, which would protect properties behind behind the wall and have the water stay on the other side. I mean, I don't think that would be a huge cost. I mean, it's probably thirty or $40,000, so we could protect some of like that along there. I think it could be done. But again, it's something that I don't know whether we want to direct administration to look at. Particularly since it's a historic building almost, right? Almost a historic building, okay. So a few years shy or what? <laughs> <coughs> so I've got a second question. So it's either dance floor 
or pottery and art? Is it kind of either or thing? I know this community services will look at it. Uh, basically, from what I've had in the past with the sprung dance floor, um, you don't put anything else on it. Um, it's designed as for dancing only. If you put something on it and leave it, it will warp the floor. And so, yes, it would be one or the other. Anything else? Well, actually, if it's a, the art people, the kiln would need a vent of some sort, would it not? Yeah, we weren't looking at a kiln in there because we'd have to vent it to the outside, and that's just going to add to our costs. And fire code requirements. You wanted to make, did you want to make a motion? I, I'm going to give it some research, and then I'll bring something back for okay. Council of the Whole. Great. You're dismissed. Um, so that takes us to the check registry. Uh, are there any questions regarding the checks? And we need Councillor Sawchuck here to ask some of these questions. So, hearing none. In the absence of uh, questions, Your Worship, I'd uh, put a motion on the floor to accept the March 2nd and March 4th uh, check registry as information. Okay. RLD set, that's the one I see. It's for 22000 That's something I haven't seen before. Is that construction related to rebuilding or... Sorry, which which it's, one? It's uh, seventy-five eight thirty-five. On four. It's on the, the second one, the March fourth. It's the contractor, right? Sorry, which which one is it again? It's RL Doucet. Oh, incorporated. RL Doucet. I think he's a contractor in town, is he not? I, b I believe so, but I can get confirmation on that. I think so. Okay. All right. Thank you. And uh, I don't know if I sent out the note from last time. The question was on the – we had a check from the City of Grand Prairie. That was uh, annual dispatch fees. Okay. Uh, there's a motion from – Councillor Needham to accept those, uh, accept the check registry for, did you say information? Is that what you said, for information or what? Okay, all in favor? Passed. So uh, that takes us to the information section. Uh, there's 11 items in this section. Um, are there any that wish that anybody wishes to highlight? I, I suspect Councillor Banky wants to highlight the soup kitchen. Thank you. I think you already did. 
Sue uh, Gidgen just went to send a thank you to the town for the donation the town gave them. There was another thank you as well. Um, Northern Lakes College. Northern Lakes College, yeah. And Chris Workington got in a couple of news releases. And uh, the Edmonton Chamber of Commerce talked about their taste of the chamber. We should pass that along to our Chamber of Commerce. I wouldn't mind a taste of Peace River event. They're actually pretty, uh, I've been to the Taste of Edmonton events. Those are, uh, those are pretty good. So. Growing the North had that on the, when the evening before the conference started too, I understand. I'd like to say congratulations to the pool because uh, their numbers seem to be up quite significantly compared to last year. We were there yesterday for public swim and family swim right before us was packed, really busy. So hopefully that's good. <laughs> hopefully it stays that way. And I noticed that FCSS is um, uh, trying to get Meals on Wheels program going again, is it? Yeah. When I took interest in is that letter from the municipal affairs about that uh, new West partnership trade agreement. Does that like does the town's current procurement policies when it comes to that kind of stuff? Do we we're 100 percent on that? Like that's not going to cause us any grief. No, we're currently under we currently operate under those those restrictions of those trade agreements. So we'll we'll ensure if there's any, you know, we're reviewing it to see if there's any significant change. But we currently operate under those. Because they kick in at what seventy five grand? Uh, they have different levels for different types of service. Okay. Yeah. Um, Mr. Brown, can you just refresh my <coughs> memory about the um, meter meters that we were replacing this year? They were the elect water. The water things. Is that all in place and happening on schedule, or we're getting somebody to do it? We're we're tendering the project now. So it will be, it will be back here, um, sometime within the month, I believe, for council review. Just on that topic, and I, I see Sandy's not here. I've had a couple of residents comment to me on their water bills that they've just been receiving estimates. Um, I was surprised that that was happening. Is um, is is that related to this upgrade by any, or is it um, one one is not connected to the? Uh, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, have we held back on the old ATCO system pending this, or is it business as usual? I was I was I had two residents ask me questions, and uh, I suggested they come down here and uh, have a discussion with uh, with the water billing people. Uh, I noticed mine as well was an estimate. Well, we've always we've always been doing estimates on a number of meters because the ATCO program never never replaced all of the meters. Right. The, so th these ones were ATCO ones. That's what caught me by surprise. And, and the issue there, without knowing the specifics of them, but the issue is probably that it quit working. And ATCO, as soon as something quits working, they do, don't uh, replace. Okay. We've also had an issue with ATCO not telling us that they've taken meters out of service. 
So we're assuming that the meter is going to keep reading when in fact they've gone and changed it out so it can't keep reading. So we're, we're playing that catch-up game as well. So okay. it, it could be either of those situations. Okay. And another question I have, and just in general, we have a um, proposal out for um, a new garbage collection contract and so on. Um, that's for the, it needs to be in place by the end of May. Was So if we do go for residential um, bin pickup, would that also be starting ex at the end of May, or do you anticipate a leeway there for communication and stuff like that? We, we've, uh, in the, in the proposal call, we have indicated that they must be starting that date to get the program running. So that, that's the terms that, that anybody's putting a proposal in is, is that they must start on that date. Um, we haven't yet had feedback that anybody thinks that's an undoable, uh, you know, or an unrealistic date. So that's what we would be shooting for. I'm just wondering in terms of residents knowing what's happening, because that'll be a, quite a change, I think. Yeah, and we will have to uh, clearly get a lot of information out surrounding that, depending on what council decides is the, the way you want to proceed. I had, sorry, one question, Kelly, on, on your report, um, and I think maybe I've answered it myself, but it re references attended joint council meetings with County of Northern Lights. This was previous to the letter that, like this isn't related to um, the letter we got from County of Northern Lights on the dispute resolution? It, it's not. It was the joint meeting that all council was at. Oh, right, okay. Um, but just, we have started those meetings as well. So just on this protective services, when uh, that middle column on the uh, on the table, could could he use that to put in how many person hours does this that gray column? Just put person for each category person hours involved. Yeah. Also on the same report, Kelly, um, on the right hand side. It says location of calls, Peace River, and that number, like I'm looking at this medical co-response stuff. On the right-hand side, it's giving us a number of 18. Where is that number coming from, or how is he figuring out that column? Because if, if you look in the whole month of February, since that change, there's only f number of calls, there's only five. So I'm just wondering where that number 18 is coming from. I I'm not understanding those numbers in that column. Yeah, I hear yeah, you. I'm wondering if that was meant to be a cumulative number. Yeah, there's some, I see what you're saying there. Because the alarm calls are kind of in the same category. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I'm not sure, but I understand your question, so I'll get that sorted. So you may not know the answer to this off the bat, but what is the protocol on alarm calls? I know there's a fine after a certain number, so... Could you, do you know the? Do you want to go back and do some homework, or do you do you know what the uh, what the disincentive is on these alarm calls? I I can't I can't speak to it off the top of my head. We we do have that information you know readily available. Though unless Renee, do you happen to know it? I think there's a fine associated with the 
the, yeah, there, there definitely is, and maybe we'll just bring that back next right. meeting. And most of these alarm calls are probably from schools or from businesses. I, I can't speak to that either. So yeah, I'd be curious to see how many of them are, are actually the, the false alarm calls and how uh, a person could actually get those numbers down. And, and we do, that's what the, the bylaw actually does is uh, we, over the, over the years, it kind of tends to ramp up and uh, which is why the bylaw was initially put in to allow us to go to those that are continually uh, creating the problem and say, now there's a cost. So that's what brought the bylaw in, in the first place and it, it tends to go a little bit in, in uh, peaks and valleys. So as it starts to ramp up, they start to enforce more and get it back down. But I can I can get more detail on that. Uh, yeah, maybe that's a good discussion for March twenty fifth, emergency management. And then Kelly, I, I know it's not in your sports release. I didn't see it. Um, the te work in Telus, I see they've got a couple trucks working in town with the fiber optics. Is are they providing us updates on how? how how they're progressing, or they, they've asked for a meeting. Is it this week or next? This week? coming Monday. Next, yeah, so to, next to give Monday. us an update on on the whole project. So, okay, all right. So we'll give you an update. My children are all suitably impressed that the town of Peace River is going to have fiber optics long before they do in the city of Edmonton. So, well, and it's, it's creating a stir in Grimshaw too because I know um, where I work, our internet is. Horribly, it's it's set for maybe five users, and we've got 25 staff and 50 residents. So Grimshaw, there's some scuttlebutt over there too in terms of uh, what Peace River's got. Electronic gateway to the north. We might not be the city of champions, but we're an electronic <laughs> gateway to the north. <laughs> Just in clarification to that meeting on the 25th. Was that at, that's at 5 p.m., right? Yeah. Okay. Well, I asked for it to be at 5. Right, okay. I just wanted to make sure I had it in here. Okay. And so part of the, well, we'll get to that when we do, uh, do uh, uh, basically key communication or, or whatever, where we go over everyone's schedule. Okay, uh, so uh, uh, Berwyn Autumn Lodge, we say there's two letters from residents. We should say, we should actually put non-residents in there. Um, uh, don't get the impression that our our people are are uh, supporting Berwyn Autumn Lodge. They're both from Grimshaw, and they're both carbon copies of each other. Um, uh, I don't know. Does any is there anybody want to make an omnibus motion to accept items eleven point one through eleven point? Eleven, uh, as for information. Okay, all in favor of Councillor Burr's motion. Any notices of motion, Mr. Bunn? None received. Okay. Um, let's deal with key communication items. So this is our press briefing section of the uh, the agenda. So, what do you guys want to talk about? The media. 
So what's going to be the big story in the newspaper coming up? Well, you've already got that one out. What about any stories out of today's meeting? Victim services? You're going to do a... Okay. You want more information on it? Um, yeah, so uh, we, we met with the uh, RCMP uh, the other week and talked about ways to make our community safer. <laughs> and and one of the one of the items that the RCMP felt would be a, a good tool would be a, a loitering a loitering slash curfew bylaw, so that um, and maybe we should discuss it a little more if you're going to do more of a story, and I'll I'll talk to the RCMP about it a bit more, but. You know, so you'd have, let's say, a curfew at 10 o'clock in the parks. Then that's so the police can get people to move on without them getting into whatever substances they have, whether it be alcohol or drugs, and then creating a, a bigger problem later on in the evening and, and in the wee hours of the morning. Uh, and one of the things that we're going to try and target as we're going forward, and, and there probably will be uh, some discussion about um, selling low-priced low alcohol, but uh, we, we have a... We, well, there are a number of individuals in the town who are taking up a lot of Valuable RCMP time, and we and we feel that that is related to alcohol use, i.e., the ability to purchase cheap alcohol in this town. So we will uh, we're looking at initiatives to try and mitigate that, so that the RCMP instead of handling people that are intoxicated and inebriated. They can they can use they can use their time and effort to address uh, um, um, well more significant issues let's say such as domestic violence and and be able to respond quicker and what to serious issues. Well, we're we're looking to. Talk to business business people in, or business owners in this community that may be uh, purveyors of some of this cheap alcohol or or other um, substitutes. And and uh, uh, well, to 
to discourage people from drinking, uh, well, really from drinking the, the cheaper substitutes, such as hairspray, things like that. So we're, uh, we're looking to talk to the uh, business people in this community first, and uh, um, if there isn't a big uptake, we may very well look at a bylaw. We're very cognizant of the fact that uh, uh, a lot of a lot of police time and effort is spent taking care of people that are inebriated and intoxicated, and it creates uh, um, visually it's visually having uh, some of these intoxicated inebriated people. Um, it doesn't present the community in a very positive light. Um, and if we need to get these individuals help, we need to get them help. We, we shouldn't let this, let the problem fester and continue. Uh, but we haven't flushed out our strategy very fully on that. But part of that is is trying to keep um, allow giving the police more tools to prevent people from just loitering and creating a nuisance. Yeah, by 10 p.m. Uh, you uh, no no large gatherings in the parks or something like that. So, and that's really what Councillor Ford's motion spoke to. We're to investigate uh, what other communities have done and what the pros and cons are. If I can just add to it, it's not a, when I, when I use the word curfew, it doesn't mean town-wide when, when you're walking down the sidewalk. It's specifically dealing with with the issues in, in public spaces. And the type of activity that happens in those public spaces during certain hours, and if we can mitigate some of that, it would uh, help you lessen the crime and, and all the garbage and mess that's been left around from that type of behavior. Yeah, there's no no intention to bring a town-wide curfew into into effect. It's meant for public spaces such as parks. And we don't intend to impose one during Halloween either. And, and we don't intend to impose a curfew during Halloween either. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know what else caught your interest. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah, and and uh, in the unlikely event that it may get flooded again. 
But continuous would not be the right word. Continually would not be the right word. So, uh, yeah, so he's looking at to insist that the town uh, do some flood proofing on it. I'm going to explore options to see what other jurisdictions have done with what we could be doing. The problem is we're supposed to be doing some stuff too, and I, we haven't, I haven't seen anything. So. Yeah. And would you want to keep Well, for instance, keep the furnaces off off the floor. Was, yeah. was that one of them? Yeah. yeah. Can you seal them off completely? You know, which is something I think I've heard that other jurisdictions have looked at. So, you know, you know, flood walls have been tried in areas in California where they build a two-foot or three-foot high wall adjacent to residences that adjoin a river. So then you've got that three feet of additional flood protection. To provide a higher degree of flood protection, yeah. Although this happened a, a year ago, roughly, right? Just not it, not quite a year yet. Yeah. So, yeah. It's it's very real. Like like I like I said, you know, I you know people from St. James have asked what the town's doing to make sure it doesn't happen again. They were very concerned that nothing's happened since in the in the in the year. They were asking you know some very specific questions about what the current status of Pat's Creek is. Have we cleaned it out yet? That, those kinds of questions, so which is legitimate. Yeah, for sure. But so just by the nature of the geography and stuff, it's, it's uh, maybe a problem that would happen a lot. Therefore, maybe it would be from a year ago based upon But the event last year was the first time in the 30 years that I've been here that that's happened. So, again, it's, it is, it's not a frequent occurrence, but it has happened once. Um... I don't think it's lost on a lot of people that some of the conditions we had last year, i.e., you know, warm breaks in January followed by colder weather, have uh, you know, are, are those conditions more frequent for whatever reason, and is that contributing to uh, an increased risk? Well, I think I think you know I've talked to Kelly. The town is aware aware of the situation last year, and they're they're. Doing some monitoring, so I think I think things are being addressed at this point in time. A few more prayers from the same James folks might help. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, anything else? Yeah, thanks for arranging that. No, that was good. So Victim Services was able to talk about what they do. So hopefully, uh, so you got, you're going to do a piece on that? Yeah, good. I think we need to advertise that. <laughs> so, uh, what, what are you going to put down for KCI's town? I've got, um, I've got a 
I've got Athabasca Hall. I've got Bylaw 1954. I've got uh, the three donations to um, PREIC, the Swim Club, and Glen Mary. And I could put 1955 on as a as a tabled motion, um, but those are the ones well, that I've got right now. I would. I would save your energy for uh, getting people to uh, to lobby MBOPs. Yeah, so those are the ones I've got. I've just got those three for right now. Unless okay. anybody has something else they want to no. add. No, well, I think that's good. Okay, we're going to take a break for uh, five, ten minutes. So if you guys want to get some sound bites or something, then this is probably a good time and... If not, we'll still take a 10-minute break, and uh, then we'll come back for in-camera. Colin, did you see that? Did you see that jet blue landing at LAX? The, uh, the emergency landing? Did you see that? <laughs> no. It was, it was weird. His nose pierced went down sideways. 